You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now again, the title of this message is, is Division Comes Naturally. Now, in interest of full disclosure, I have to admit that I'm actually borrowing that title uh, from a quote from Francis Chan. It was Francis Chan who had said that division comes naturally, but unity comes supernaturally. Unity comes supernaturally. You know, when you think about it, you know, it's, it's, it's only natural for us to, to fight over the differences that we have with each other, right? That's only natural. I mean, we live in a day where, where it's, it's the 1% against the 99%. It's the, it's the climate doubters versus the climate controllers. I mean, we live in a day where, where, where bathrooms have become battlefields. And so it's natural to fight over our differences. But when, when people who, who naturally should hate each other all of a sudden start to love one another, when, when people who normally would tear down each other start to build one another up, what is that? Well, that's not natural. That's supernatural. Now, you see, the, the problem with the church that was in the ancient city of Corinth, their problem was that they were a divided church. Let me put that another way. Their problem was that they were acting naturally, but not supernaturally. And so that's why, as we pick it up again in verse 10, Paul is making a plea for unity, a plea for unity. He says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. Now notice that last part of the phrase there, the last part of that verse, where he says that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. Now if you're reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, yours is rendered this way. It says that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, now Warren Wiersbe, in, in his commentary, mentions that this Greek phrase, uh, be united, or, or, or as it's translated, perfectly joined together is, is a Greek word that, that can be translated to mend. In fact, the Greek word katatrizo, it, it's a word that originally was a medical term. A medical term because it's the idea that you're mending a broken bone. In fact, the word can be translated to put into order or to set in order, like you would set a, bro a bone that was broken. And so here's the picture. The, the picture is that, is that the church in the city of Corinth was, was, was a, was a, was a if, if it were a body, then it was a body with broken bones. It was, it was a body that was fractured and, and in need of being mended, being, being mended, being made whole again. And, and by the way, Paul uses this, this same term, be united or, or uh, perfectly joined together later on in the New Testament to illustrate how a healthy body is supposed to function. For example, later on in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies according to the, to the effective working by each and every part, it, it does its share and causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so what Paul's saying is that, you know what, when, when the body, a healthy body is perfectly joined together, that's a body where, where, where each part is doing its own part, it's doing its own share, and because each part is working as it should and they're working together, that's a body that's growing, that's a body that's healthy. But the body, the church body in Corinth was anything but a healthy body, they were a broken body. They were a divided body. And this is why Paul is making a plea for unity, a plea for healing in the body there in Corinth. By the way, anybody remember the, the Lord's Prayer? 
You know, I don't mean the Lord's Prayer that we sometimes read in Matthew chapter 6 where it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, so on and so forth. Now, uh, that is actually the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples how to pray, but that's really not the Lord's Prayer. If we want to know the Lord's Prayer, what I mean by that, the prayer that the Lord himself prayed, well, then we need to read John chapter 17. Because in John chapter 17, uh, verses 20 through 23, Jesus prayed this. Jesus prayed and said, Father, I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The, the, the glory that you have given me, I give to them, that, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me. So now what was Jesus praying for? Well, Jesus was, was praying for unity, right? But more than that, he, he's praying that, you know what? When, when, when people who should naturally hate each other, when people who, who should not get along with each other because they come from different political backgrounds, they come from different racial backgrounds, they come from, from different environmental backgrounds, they, they have all these differences, and yet all of a sudden, when those people are now one with each other, that is living proof to the world that's watching that there really is a God in heaven. He says that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me. Now listen, when you think about it, unity was not only the Lord's prayer, but it was also the Lord's command. You may remember on another occasion in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said this, he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you, so you also love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I've shared this before, but a handful of years ago, Amy and I, we, we were in Southern California for, for a pastor's conference, a pastor and pastor's wife conference. So we're out there, and, and, and one night, we, 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 we go and have dinner at this Middle Eastern restaurant. And, and, and our waiter was this really friendly guy. He's from Turkey, and, and he's talking to us, and, and he notices that we're both wearing our name tags for the pastor's conference. And he says, oh, are, are you guys here for some kind of a conference? And, and I'm like, yeah, I, I'm out here for a pastor's conference. And, and you know, there's, there's like 1,000, maybe 1,500 uh, you know, different pastors from, from all over the nation kind of gathering here. We're all meeting over at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and, and you know, kind of talk about it. And he goes, he goes well, you know, what do, you, what do you guys do at these conferences? Do you guys just get together and, and fight with each other about a bunch of stuff? I thought, well, that's interesting. I mean, Jesus said that we'd be known by our love for one another, but evidently the world that watches us, it knows us by how we fight with one another. And that's what was happening in Corinth. This was a divided body. There was division in that body, a broken body. That's why Paul's making a plea for unity in that body. Why? Well, because in verses 11 and 12, we see that he gets a report about their division, a report about division. Verse 11, Paul says, For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? What, was Paul crucified for you? Or, or, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And we'll pause there. And so he, he, he says, you know, I'm getting this report from Chloe's people. Now, by the way, uh, 
for the most part, you have to remember that, that in those ancient times, the church, for the most part, consisted of, of, of several different Bible studies meeting in individual houses, you know, home Bible studies. Now, occasionally, of course, you'd find a large group that was meeting maybe in a, in a converted synagogue or, or maybe they would meet like in, in a converted school or an auditorium. In fact, in the book of Acts, we know that Paul uh, had, had held church meetings in, in, in the school of Tyrannus. That was a, a philosophical school, a school of philosophy that when it wasn't being used for philosophy, he would use it to hold church services. But for the most part, typically speaking, churches met in houses. So when he says, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people, he's saying, you know what? It's been reported to me by the church that meets at Chloe's house. In other words, it's been reported to me by Chloe's congregation. And what's been reported? Well, that there's division in that church. Now remember from last week's message that, that we know that, that the Apostle Paul was the one who came there, planted that church, started that church, then he stayed there for a year and a half pastoring that church until he handed that church off to Apollos, who then became that church's second pastor. Now uh, the problem was there was division. The people are saying, well, I'm of, I'm of Paul, and, 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 and I'm of Apollos. And Paul's like, I'm appalled. You know, but, but they're like, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. Now, by the way, Cephas, that's just the Aramaic version of the name Peter. Now, by the way, there, there's no historical record that Peter actually ever went to Corinth. He never actually went there. And so it's not like people were loyal to him because he went there. It's like they kind of have this long-distance admiration. For, for, for Peter. He, Peter's in Jerusalem, but they've heard of Peter or they know of Peter. And so from afar, they've got this admiration. But here's the picture that's being painted. The picture that's being painted is that there was sort of this, this cult of personality thing going on. You know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And, and so everyone was divided up into their, their little camps based on their favorite preacher. So on the one hand, you, you know, you, you've got somebody saying, well, you know, uh, you know Paul, he's, he's my pastor because you know, he's the one who started this church and, and, and he laid the foundation. And besides, I like his in-depth uh, uh, approach through the scriptures. But then again, others were, would say things like, well, you know, I, I prefer Apollos because you know, Apollos is just such a dynamic speaker and he's entertaining and, and, and I could listen to, listen to him read anything. I could listen to him read the, the Apple user's license agreement. I mean, he's just entertaining. And then again, Others were, were like, well, you know, I more identify with Peter, you know, because Peter, he's, he's old school. He's like one of the OGs. He's, he's like one of the original 12 disciples. And besides that, you know, he's a fisherman. So he just speaks, you know, everyday, earthy, easy to understand language. I more relate with a guy like that. And so they're following this guy and following that guy. Or then again, maybe how it happened was this. Maybe when Paul left, he transitioned and handed the church over to Apollos. Maybe people started saying things like, well, you know what? I don't know if I like the new guy. You know, I mean, you know, I, I mean, sure, he, he's, he's a great speaker. Yeah, sure, he's dynamic, he's funny, he's entertaining, but you know what? I, I don't know if I like his vision for the church. Or, you know, I, I, I think he lacks the experience, he lacks the wisdom that Paul had. And so it was this cult of personality. Let's face it, we have the same cult of personality in our culture today, don't we? In fact, really, we, it's, you know, but by, by the 10th power, you know, cult of personality to like, like the steroid degree, right? I mean, it's just like, like off the chain. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, when, when, when you take radio and, and TV and the internet and, and, and just all the, the, I mean, you know, just pick your personality. Who do you want? And so nowadays, you know, you got people like, well, you know, I'm of Francis Chan or, or I'm of Stephen Fru Frutrich or, or I'm of Judah Smith or I'm of Chuck Smith. I'm of this camp, or I'm of that camp, or how about this? I'm of this pastor, or I'm of that pastor who was suing the government during COVID. 
And so we get our own little camp and, and our own little following and, and, and we break up in our own little groups. Now it's interesting, and I want you to notice, is that in this passage, Paul does not put the blame, Paul does not put the responsibility for this on the shoulders of the pastors in question. So it's not like the, the, the pastors in question were, were creating this cult following. It's not like they were the ones running around saying, hey, follow me, follow me, follow me. It's not like Paul was running around saying, hey, look, be in my group. Or, or, or Apollos was running around saying, hey, get in my camp or else. And so the, 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 it wasn't the pastors or the preachers that were the problem. The problem was that the people were idolizing their favorite preachers. Not only, not only were they idolizing their favorite preachers, but really they were making the personalities that were preaching the gospel, the, the, the dividing line, rather than the gospel. Think about that. They were making the personalities that were preaching the gospel the dividing line, rather than the gospel being the dividing line. Listen, it's one thing when, when some cult out there is, is perverting the gospel. Some cult out there is telling you that Jesus is nothing more than the spirit brother of Lucifer. Yeah, that's right, the guys with the white shirts and the nice little ties. Cult. Uh, when, when they tell you that, that he's the spirit brother of Lucifer, or, or when another cult comes along and they tell you that Jesus was just, the, was just Michael the archangel, or when some group comes along and says that, 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 uh, that you need to work your way into heaven. It's not, it's not by faith, it's by works. Listen, that is a clear dividing line. That's a dividing line between truth and error, between truth and falsehood. But when you've got two preachers, when you've got two preachers preaching the same gospel, Two preachers preaching the true gospel, two preachers preaching the same Jesus, and then we divide over personality, we divide over style, we divide over some political stand that they take. Listen, when we make that the dividing line, we have divided the body of Christ. The dividing line is not the personality, the dividing line is the gospel. That's the dividing line. And when you divide over anything other than the gospel, you're dividing the body. And that's what's happened to this church in Corinth. They were dividing the body there in Corinth. Not only that, but as we pick it up in verses 13 through 16, we see that they were also divided over baptism. And so in verse 13, Paul says again, Is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one of you uh, would, would say that you've been baptized in my name. I did baptize the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Now listen, this is, admittedly, this is a tough section. Now there are some who, who by the way, read this section and, and, and they misread it as if to say that, that Paul uh, did not baptize people. Or they misread it to say that Paul was actually against baptism, and they misread it to say that, that baptism is no longer for today. Listen, anything could be further from the truth. Listen, the truth is, is that Paul baptized people. In fact, Paul baptized a lot of people. In fact, let me illustrate. Back in Acts chapter 16, the, the apostle Paul comes into the region of Macedonia. When he gets there, he meets a, a businesswoman by the name of Lydia, he, he shares the gospel with her, leads her to faith in Christ, and then it says that he baptized her and her whole household. Then later on in the same chapter, Acts chapter 16, Paul comes into the town of Philippi. He gets arrested for preaching the gospel. Then the jailer, the, the prison warden, who, whose job is basically to, to dish out the beatings to the prisoners, you know, he, he, he notices that, that no matter how much Paul is beaten, no matter how many beatings he sustains, he just keeps singing praises to Jesus. 
And listen, as far as the jailer was concerned, Paul wasn't like any prisoner he had ever seen. And so he looks at this and he's like, you know, Paul, you know what? There's something different about you. I want what you've got. How can I get saved? And so Paul shares the gospel with him, leads him to Jesus. And then it says that he baptized him and his whole household. But then here's where it gets really good. Then in Acts chapter 18, in Acts chapter 18, Paul now comes to the city of Corinth, the same city we're reading about here in chapter 1. He comes to the city of Corinth, and, 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 and the, he leads the ruler of the synagogue, this guy by the name of Crispus. We just read about him here in chapter 1. He leads the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, to faith in Jesus and then baptizes him. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 8, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 18, verse 8, it says, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with, with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. So as it turns out, the Apostle Paul not only baptized Crispus and Gaius, and also St Stephanus and his whole household, but he baptized many, it says in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, many of the Corinthians. In fact, so many, he can't even remember how many he baptized. And so what are we saying? We're saying that, 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 that was Paul against baptism? No, he baptized many people. Was Paul saying that baptism is no longer for today? No, he, he practiced baptism. So if that's not what he was saying, then what was he saying? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, to, to answer that, we, we, have to, we have to understand that in that day, the Jewish rabbis would, would often baptize their followers, uh, and, and, and this is a very common practice. Now, now here, here's how it works. Let's say that, that you know, you're, you're following one rabbi, but then you hear that the rabbi down the street, they have better donuts. So you're like, you know, I want to follow them. They got, they got Krispy Kreme. You know, and, so, and so you leave this rabbi and you go and you join this guy and you, and you follow them. Well, now what's going to happen is your new rabbi is going to baptize you as, as sort of a symbolic way to wash away all of the teachings of your previous rabbi so that you'll now be a clean slate to work on. But when they baptize you, they would baptize you in their name, in the name of that rabbi. So maybe you're, you, know, you, you want to go follow the, the rabbi Gamaliel. So you, he, the Rabbi Gamaliel bap, baptizes you in the name of Gamaliel. And from that point on, you are now a follower of Gamaliel. But then you hear that, that Hillel has Dunkin' Donuts. And you're like, well, I'm all about Dunkin' Donuts. And so you leave you know, Gama, Gamaliel, and now you want to go and follow Hillel. And so now you know, Hillel baptizes you in the name of Hillel. And now from that point on, now you're a follower of Hillel. And so they would baptize you in their own name to make you their follower. So here's what was happening in Corinth. The, the Christians in the city of Corinth, they started identifying more with, the, with, with their preachers and their teachers than they did with Jesus. And they said, well, hey, because Paul, followed, uh, Paul baptized me, I'm now a, a follower of Paul. Or because Peter, when I went to Jerusalem, Peter baptized me, I'm now a follower of Peter. Or because, or because Apollos, the new pastor, because he baptized me, I am a follower of Apollos. And that's why I think uh, later on, he, he, he says kind of hyperbolically, he says, I'm glad that I baptized none of you. I'm glad I baptized none of you. But, but then he goes on, and here's the key. The key is what he says in the rest of verse 15. He says, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. You see, Paul was not saying that he didn't baptize people. What Paul was saying is that when he baptized people, he never baptized someone in his own name. 
He baptized them in the name of Jesus. Why? Because Paul wasn't trying to make followers of Paul. Paul was about making followers of Jesus. So he wasn't like the rabbis who would baptize them in the name of Gamaliel or the name of Hillel or, or the name of this rabbi or that rabbi to produce their own followers. He baptized in the name of Jesus because it was all about Jesus. And now on that note, as we look at verse 17, we, we, what we have is, is an appeal for the supernatural. Remember, division comes naturally, so this is an appeal for the supernatural. And so again, verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be emptied of its power. Now again, Paul's writing to, to a fractured church, right? A, a, a broken body. And so he's appealing, to, appealing for a healing. He's, he's appealing for, for unity in this church. Because again, this was a church in the church of Corinth that, that was divided over everything. They were divided over, the, over their favorite preacher. And more than that, they were divided, as we saw, over who baptized them. And so that's why Paul says in verse 17, he says, Christ did not call me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, what Paul's doing is putting the right emphasis on the right thing. In other words, the emphasis is not on baptizing. The emphasis is on the gospel. Why? Well, because getting wet in water, getting baptized is not what gets you to heaven. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified and him risen again. That's what gets you to heaven. So that's where the emphasis needs to be. Not on the water, but on the gospel. You know, you think about it, there's a lot of groups today that, that kind of overemphasize baptism, right? In fact, one group, the Church of Christ, you know, they, they would tell you that, that, you know, if you're not baptized, especially if you're not baptized in their particular church, you're not going to heaven. It's like they put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, am I right? They're emphasizing the wrong thing. And so the Corinthians, I mean, they, they were literally fighting over, over who baptized them. And what was happening is it was almost like, like they were on the verge of becoming a bunch of little splinter churches all over Corinth. Where you'd have one group over here saying, hey, we're of the church of Paul because Paul baptized us. Another group would say, hey, we're of the group of Apollos because Apollos baptized us. A bunch of splinter churches. Now, of course, we, we don't use the term splinter churches anymore. We use a much more sophisticated term, right? Denominations. You know, we, so we got the Baptist denomination against, against the Presbyterian denomination. We got the Lutherans against the Catholics. We got this denomination against that denomination. And then we got the non-denoms who are against everybody, right? I love the way, uh, and I've, I've used this many times before, but I love the way comedian Emo Phillips put it. Emo Phillips said, I met somebody the other day, and I said, are you a Protestant or a Catholic? And they said, Protestant. I said, me too, but what franchise? And they said, Baptist. I said, oh, me too, but are you Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? And they said, Northern Baptist. I said, oh, me too, but are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Council of 1912? And they said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912, and I said, die, heretic. Can I tell you that, that we are not the only ones with the corner on the truth? I mean, whether it's Calvary Chapel or whether it's Southern Baptist or whether it's the Assemblies of God, listen, the truth of the matter is that we're all a part of the same body, the body of Christ. But here's the problem. As I mentioned at the, at the beginning of the message, the problem was that the church in, in, in Corinth 
They were behaving naturally, not supernaturally. In other words, they were behaving like the world and not like the body of Christ. And can I dare say to you that what was true 2,000 years ago with the ancient church, sadly, is still true today? Again, just think about how natural it is for our world to divide. When I say the world, I don't mean Christians. I don't mean, you know, Christianity. I mean this world, the the culture, the, the world at large. Listen, it's natural for us to divide over, I mean, we divide over everything. I mean, we divide over, over racism. We divide over, over politics. We divide over pronouns, for crying out loud. I mean, if you were to tell me 20 years ago we'd be dividing over pronouns, I would have thought you were on drugs. And now 20 years later, you're telling me we're dividing over pronouns, I still think you're on drugs. We divide over everything. In fact, so much so that a handful of years ago, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Company, they, they, they did a special on this. A special on, on how divisive things have become, especially in our country. The special was titled, The Divided States of America. In fact, one survey says that 77% of Americans say that our country is divided now more than it's ever been before, and that includes the time of the Civil War. In fact, many believe that we're on the verge of another Civil War. 27% of Americans say that they've lost close friends and even family members because of political disagreements. Now, what am I saying? What's my point? Well, my point is this. My point is that division comes naturally. It's part of the world. I mean, this world, it's, it's divisive. In other words, listen, it's natural in our sin nature to fight with one another over our differences. That comes natural to our sin nature. <clears throat> and so the ancient church in Corinth, here they were. Uh, they were divided. And, and in the same way, listen, mod- the modern church of our day, we seem to be taking our cues from the world and not from the word. <clears throat> Russell Moore, uh, former president of Liberty University, he said this recently. He said, someone asked me a few weeks ago, what percentage of churches or ministries I thought were divided by, some, some po- by the same political or the same cultural tumults ripping through almost every other facet of American life? And I answered, all of them, 100%. So I think he's right. I mean, if we learn anything from the divided church of Corinth, then what we learn is that when we behave naturally rather than supernaturally, the body gets fractured. The body gets divided. And listen, I believe that, that, that today our greatest danger is that we are at risk of fracturing the next generation away from the body of Christ. I don't know if you keep up with the latest trends, but, but right now one of, the, one of the latest trends is that many young people are now becoming what are called ex-evangelicals. Not evangelicals, ex-evangelicals. Another term that's being thrown around lately is, is the term deconstructing. That many young people are deconstructing their faith. Now in some cases they deconstruct, but then they reconstruct it and, and they still believe in Jesus and they still have a, a very solid theology, a biblical theology, when, 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 when it's all said and done. This is what happened to, to rapper Lecrae and also what happened to singer-songwriter David uh, Crowder. But then there's many others, uh, like, like Kevin Max, who was a, a member of, of the group DC Talk. He recently has publicly come out and said that he's deconstructed his faith to the point that he's left the faith. He no longer believes in God. Then there's Joshua Harris, who a, a few years back, actually many years back, wrote the book I Kiss Dating Goodbye, 
Well, evidently, he's now kissed Christianity goodbye, and he now leads nationwide seminars on how you can deconstruct your faith. Then there's uh, Rhett and Link, who uh, many in the Gen Z uh, group would would remember uh, from, from the hit YouTube channel, Good Mythical Morning. And they too now have deconstructed their faith. And the list goes on and on and on. And experts, when they look at this, they say that that perhaps one of the reasons that so many young people are losing their faith and turning away from the faith is because they look at how divided the previous generation, that is, their parents' generation, have become over things like racism and politics. And frankly, it's turned them off to the church. It's turned them off to Christianity. They look at us and they see that we're taking our cues from the world and not from the word, and it's turned them off. Pastor Gary Newhoff put it this way. He said, when Christians lose their minds, people lose their faith. And so as the Apostle Paul appealed to the church in Corinth, I'm appealing to the church, not just to this church, but to the church, the church today. Again, the Apostle Paul said in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. In fact, Paul later on made the same appeal to the church of Ephesus. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, he said, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Listen, here's what I believe. I believe that that at a time when experts are saying that our nation is more divided than it's ever been before, I believe that at a time like this, the world around us needs to see something supernatural. They need to see the Spirit of God uniting the people of God, which is going to bring glory to God. Thus fulfilling Jesus' prayer, again, when he said in John 17, 23, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, and, and that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. Listen, when the Spirit of God unites the people of God, that's bringing glory to God. But when the people of God take their cues from the world, apart from God, that's anything but glory to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.